Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And today and tomorrow, we're going to continue on the series of indicators that we are drifting from God. You know, a young rabbi found a serious problem in his new congregation. During the Friday service, half of the congregation stood for the prayers and the other half remained seated. And with each side shouting at each other, insisting that theirs was the true tradition. Well, nothing the rabbi said or did would help to resolve this impasse. Finally, in desperation, the young rabbi sought out the synagogue's 99-year-old founder. He met the old rabbi in a nursing home and poured out his troubles. So tell me, he pleaded, was it the tradition for the congregation to stand during the prayers? No, answered the old rabbi. Ah, responded the young man. Then it was the tradition to sit during the prayers. No, answered the old rabbi. Well, the young rabbi responded, What we have is complete chaos. Half the people stand and shout at the other half, and they sit and scream. Ah, said the rabbi, the old seasoned rabbi. Now that was what the tradition is. Chaos, each shouting at each other. As you look at your life, maybe that's how you fear your life is. I want you to know that the Lord can take chaos and turn it into calmness. He can take a life that is turned upside down and turn it right side up. That's what our God does for us. But oftentimes, as we get on the right track, it seems like the blessings of the Lord sometimes can turn and we take them for granted. We're looking today at the story of Abraham. Abraham was drifting. In Genesis chapter 13, we learned that his family was in a big trouble. There was famine in the land, and so he goes to Egypt, and, and he's dishonest, right? Uh, he covers up the fact that he's married to Sarah because Sarah was beautiful, and, and he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him so that he could have his wife. And so instead of saying, this is my wife, Sarah, he says, this is my sister. And so Pharaoh wants to take Sarah as his wife, and, and thankfully they didn't have a relationship because Pharaoh got really sick. I mean, out of the blue, he gets inflicted with some kind of a, a serious disease. He goes to Abraham and says, what in the world's going on here? I, I'm learning that I'm being punished because I'm taking your wife, and you told me that she was your sister. Uh, and, you know, as you think about that whole story, uh, that was a strange thing that happened. Well, Abraham was speechless. So the Pharaoh says, take your wife and all your things and all your belongings Get out of here. I don't ever see you again. Abraham becomes a drifter. We can learn a whole lot about drifting from the story of Abraham. Abraham is moving about with his family. Lot is with him. And as a result of, of this gypsy lifestyle, they're moving all over the place. They seem to be unsteady and, and they seem to be just drifting all over the place. But even in the midst of that, Somehow Abraham uh, and his descendants are, are becoming wealthy. They are becoming filled with prosperity. So conflict begins to arise from the servants of Lot and the servants of Abram or Abraham. He discovered that there's so much friction that Abraham says, you know, the best thing for us to do is to part company. You go your way, I go my way. We pick up the story in, in Genesis chapter 13, verse number two. Abraham had become very wealthy. 
in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the give, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and Ai, there was in that area between Bethel and Ahab where there had been a tent earlier. Now he builds an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelsome rose between Abraham's herds and Lot's herds. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So let's look at this story and look at what happens when we drift in our faith. Well, number one is that we stop doing something very important. We stop resolving conflicts. We just throw up our hands and we give up. That is a sign that you are drifting in your faith. You're not resolving conflict. Researchers have done some studies to estimate what does it cost to avoid conflict. A new research has revealed that employees waste on average $1,500 in an eight-hour workday for every crucial conversation they avoid. The costs skyrocketed when multiplied by the prevalence of conflict avoidance. Let's dig deeper into this study. According to the study, conducted by the authors of the New York Times best-selling book, Crucial Conversations, says that 95% of a company's workforce struggles to speak up to their colleagues. They don't want us to talk about their concerns. 95%. As a result, they engage in resource-sapping avoidance tactics, including ruminating excessively about crucial issues, complaining, getting angry, doing unnecessary work, and avoiding the other person altogether. In extreme cases of avoidance, the organization's bottom line is hit especially hard. The study of more than 600 people found that 8% of employees estimated that their avoidance cost their organization more than $10,000. In 1 in 20, estimate that over the course of a drawn-out silent conflict, they waste time ruminating about the problems for more than six months. Now, Joseph Grenny, who is the author of Crucial Conversations, says it's time for organizations to stop viewing interpersonal competencies at soft skills and to start teaching people how to speak up, how to deal directly with conflict instead of avoiding them. Here we see that Abraham is facing this. His herdsmen are quarreling with Lot's herdsmen. It's been going on for a long time. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, they're also living in the land. That's adding to the conflict. You see, conflict on the outside is caused by conflict in the inside. There is this inside conflict between Abraham and Lot and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, but nobody's talking about it. Look what James says about conflict. He says, where does wars and fightings come among you? Come they not by your lust, that war within your members. You see, the issue is not, will there be conflict? The issue is, will I choose to deal with it? Or will I ignore it? 
deny it, or run from it. You see, step number one in dealing with conflict is, hey, can we talk? When we refuse to deal with conflict, the drifting begins. And maybe that's how you are right now in your marriage. You say, no, I'm, th- I'm done talking. I'm leaving. And maybe that's how you are with a conflict with somebody at work. Says, I'm done talking. I- I'm leaving. I'm quitting this job. Maybe that's where you are with your family or with your church. Say, I'm done. Whenever you stop talking, whenever you refuse to deal with conflict, the conflict indicates that you're drifting or your refusal to deal with the conflict means you're drifting. You see, conflict resolution produces unity. Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. You know, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You see, you're brought back together with a brother when you confront that brother and you resolve that conflict. Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any of this quarreling between me and you or between your husband and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Very specific about what the conflict is, very considerate in how to provide a solution. Now, notice it is Abraham here who takes the lead. It is Abraham who takes the initiative to resolve the conflict. Listen, if you're a spiritual person, you will be one who would take the initiative when there's conflict. Jesus says, you know, when you come to church and and you bring your gift before the altar, and then you remember you have conflict with somebody, you're to leave your gift and you're to go to that person and be reconciled. It is a sign that you're a mature person spiritually that you want to resolve conflict. It is a sign of immaturity spiritually immaturity. It is a sign that you are drifting if you refuse to deal with conflict. I see this oftentimes in marriages where one partner wants to resolve the conflict and the other partner wants to pretend that everything's okay. I don't want to deal with the conflict. Now, I'm not talking about manufactured conflicts. Some people just make up a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine concern, a genuine conflict that must be resolved. The conflict that Abraham had with Lot. Obviously, there's a problem here. We are constantly quarreling with one another. We've got too much stuff here, and we're trying to put it in too small of an area. We've got to deal with this issue. It is affecting us. We are relatives. We're fighting with each other over the blessings of the Lord. So Abraham takes the lead and says, here's the conflict. Here's how we solve it. Let's have you take one part. You go to the left, and I'll go to the right. If you prefer to go to the right, I'll go to the left. Resolving conflict produces unity. Ignoring conflict is a sign that we are drifting. Here's the second sign that we are drifting. We begin to stop dealing with selfishness. Genesis chapter 13, verse number 10. Lot looks around, and he looks out and he sees the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why did Lot choose the better for himself? Well, according to Ezekiel chapter 16, ancient Sodom's iniquity was pride. This 
fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. Now, I'm kind of worried about our nation because I see this. We are full of abundance, and then we have an abundance of idleness. And so as a result of this well-being, this being well taken care of, they became haughty, and they were failing to care for those who were poor. It was every man for himself. We got it made. We got everything we need here. I don't want to interrupt my idleness to deal with you. First John chapter 2. Here's a command that is given. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, God has given us five senses. Taste, touch, smell, hearing, and seeing. All of these senses report to our mind, our carnal mind, right? Which is an enemy of God. These senses are what Satan uses to tempt us. The lust of the flesh includes tasting, touching, smelling, and hearing. Those are the senses that Satan uses to get us to drift from the Lord. The lust of the eyes are things that we see. The pride of life is thinking that you are special because of who you are, what you have, what you know, or what you look like. Well, the enemy uses these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to entice us to sin. Scripture shows us this process at work in both the Garden of Eden and in all moments of temptation. You see, the cycle is always the same. In the Garden of Eden, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit, and she did eat it. That's Genesis 3.6. The woman Eve, she saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. The enemy does not always tempt us with things that are bad. He often tempts us with good things that are self-gratifying. It was pleasant to the eyes. That's referring to the lust of the eyes. And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's tempting her with the pride of life. Of course, if you know the rest of the story, we discover that Eve and Adam both fell into sin. You see, selfishness produces immediate gratification, but then it leaves us empty. You see, you're beginning to drift in your relationship with the Lord when you stop removing selfishness, when you embrace selfishness. But you know, that can turn around for you. Selflessness, not selfishness, selflessness produces happiness. Remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, the older I get, the more I see this. I love Christmas because I love seeing my children and my grandchildren receiving gifts. I don't really care if I get a Christmas gift, to be honest with you. I just love seeing the joy of their faces when we were able to give them a gift. I love when I can bless somebody else. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, we get some insight into what happened with the story of Abraham and Lot in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, it says that Lot looked around and he saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor. 
It was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden. And he wanted it. And you know, as you look at this, he was basing his decision completely on selfishness. And when you base your decisions on selfishness, it never leads to happiness. Selflessness always produces happiness. You see, Lot chose for himself that whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Look at that emphasis, near Sodom. He was pushing the line. He was getting closer and closer to a people who totally rejected Christ. Now, the people of Sodom, they were wicked, and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. You know, being a selfless person is such a blessing. Charles Plum was a U.S. Navy jet pilot during Vietnam. He went through 75 combat missions. His plane was destroyed by surface-to-air missiles. Plum ejected and he parachuted into the enemy hands. He was captured. He spent six years in communist Vietnam, and he was there incarcerated. He survived the ordeal and now speaks on the lessons learned from that experience. Well, one day, Charles Plum was with his wife, and they were sitting in a restaurant. A man at another table came up to him and said, You're Plum. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down. Plum asked, How in the world do you know that? The man replied, I packed your parachute. Plum gasped in surprise and gratitude. The man pumped his hand and said, I guess it worked. Plum assured him, It sure did. If your chute hadn't worked, I wouldn't be here today. You know, that night, Charles Plum couldn't sleep. He was thinking about that man. Plum said, I kept wondering what might he have looked like in a Navy uniform with a white hat and a bib on his back and bell-bottom trousers. I wondered how many times I might have seen him and didn't even say good morning to him or how are you or anything else. He says, I was a fighter pilot and he was just a sailor. Plum thought about how many hours the sailor had spent on long wooden tables in the bowels of the ship, carefully weeding the shrouds and and folding the silks in each chute, holding in his hands each time the fate of someone he didn't even know. Now Plum asks his audience, who's packing your parachute? Who has done something that has helped make your day safer or easier or even more pleasant? Well, who have you witnessed packing for someone else, recognizing them right away? You see, as we are unselfish to others, we are filled with so much joy and happiness. We begin to drift in our faith when we become selfish. So I want to encourage you to stop being selfish. Live an unselfish life. Oh, some people are going to take advantage of you. There is no doubt about that. But God blesses you as you bless the lives of others. Well, let me look at the third way that we 
we drift in our relationship from the Lord. Number one is we, we stop resolving conflict. Now, conflict doesn't go away by ignoring it. When conflict is brought to our attention, we must respond. Jesus gives us some really good ways to respond to conflict. He says, if your brother offends you, you go to him. And oftentimes, conflict is easily resolved by confronting the person that we're at odds with. Oftentimes, that's all it takes. Now, many times, people may be getting under our skin, and they have no idea that they're getting under our skin. They're not intentionally getting under our skin. So we go to them. And an amazing, simple little talk with another person can resolve much conflict. Now, number two, we are drifting from our relationship with the Lord when we, when we stop removing selfishness. I've discovered that this is an ongoing process. By nature, we are selfish individuals. We drift toward selfishness. And when we stop dealing with the selfish areas of our lives, we are drifting in our faith. And number three, we are drifting in our faith when we stop relying on God's promises. Let's go back to the story of Abraham and Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre of Hebron, and he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Well, it looks like Abraham has lost in the deal with Lot. I mean, he was probably a little set back that Lot, who owed everything he had to Abraham, that he would choose the best for himself. I guess it's kind of like going out to eat with your child, right? And you know you don't have a whole lot of money, so uh, you don't order the most expensive thing on the menu. But then your child orders the most expensive thing on the menu, right? You talk about a slap on the face. Uh, We talk about biting the hand (laughs) that feeds you. What's going on here? What is God doing behind the scenes? He was teaching Abraham to worship especially when it feels like you've lost confidence in somebody. What we trust in is what we will worship. Don't miss that point. What we trust in is what we will worship. Abraham could have worshipped resentment, but he decided to go and to, to go to Hebron. He pitched his tent, and there he builds an altar to the Lord. You see, trust produces worship. The more I trust God, the more I will worship Him. And I realize that God's delays are not His denials. Sometimes God delays giving us a promise, but it doesn't mean He's saying no. Lot, when he went and pitched on the outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, built no altar, no altars for worshiping. What was he doing? He was trusting himself to expand his prosperity. His decisions were based upon what was best for him, not others or not God. In Philippians 3.3, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. 
We do not hear Abraham complaining that he got the short end of the stick, that he was wronged by Lot. By right and by law, Lot should never have even been given first choice. That was Abraham's choice. Lot was a carnally-minded Christian. Abraham was a spiritually-minded Christian. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, to be carnally-minded, that is, minding the things of the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, minding the things of the flesh, is at enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, Lot is drifting, and he doesn't even know what kind of danger he is in. You see, we never drift into nothingness. I want to encourage you, join me tomorrow as we again look at this subject of what happens to us when we drift in our faith. What things do we stop doing? And then we're going to learn some things that we can do to reverse the drifting cycle in our lives. Join me tomorrow as we wrap up this series on how we drift from the faith. Well, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.